Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after a second straight victory for the Winnipeg Jets, this one over the New Jersey Devils. Uh, how do you want to play that game out? Um, did I love the Jets game? No. This is, I think, kind of returning to what we've talked about in the past here, a little bit of a rope. Thank you very, thank you very much. A little bit of a rope-a-dope style for the Jets that the, they they have seemed to have liked to have played in the past. I will say this: I think one thing that that game says about the Winnipeg Jets is that the scoring troubles we've seen from them all year. I think we may be at the stage where, other than at the beginning of the season, what you're seeing from the Jets is the return of that ability to get scoring at the right time, timely scoring. I think that's what we saw tonight. You know, the Devils, the two goals that the Devils allow come when the Devils are actually pressing and looking in their most dangerous during the game. I had wanted to text Ken right before it happened. I don't want to be one of those guys who says so afterwards. But I, before they scored that second goal, the Devils were absolutely dominant. But what you were noticing is they were zeroing in, zeroing in, focusing in on offense more and more and more to the degree that you're thinking, listen, if a puck jumps over a stick or if a puck gets knocked off a stick, it's going the other way. The Jets are going the other way with an odd man rush. And the way that they've been playing, they're going to score. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I could feel that coming. I could feel that outcome in the game. But the one thing you got to give the Jets credit for is when the, the it was a bend but not break philosophy. And I'll give them credit for the fact that I thought, for the most part, they did leave a lot of high-quality danger chances there. But they also were able to repel a lot of those shots, keep them to the outside. But let's be honest with ourselves. As I said, there are some high-danger shots. This was a Comrie game. Good job by Comrie. Uh Absolutely phenomenal. I've said this time and time again throughout this season. Every single chance the Winnipeg Jets have given the crease over to Mr. Comrie to handle the game and and try and affect this team. He, I mean, I don't think you can point to a time that he's let the Jets down this season. I've been saying this for a long time. He deserves more chances than he's been getting to have an effect on this team. Uh Tonight is just another example of that. I'm telling you right now, I know that I can remember the first couple of shows we did, there were massive doubters about Eric Comrie and what he was capable of doing with this team. If you are a doubter of Eric Comrie at this point, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what more he can show you. The Winnipeg Jets, quite honestly, right now, if Eric Comrie had not played the way he'd been playing this season, they're slight chance of making the playoffs would be sitting at no chance right now. So Eric Comrie, you know, give him the first star of the game. He was absolutely phenomenal, uh, a difference maker. And you, boy, oh boy, when you can come out and have a game in which it looks like, you know, the deserve to win a meter was swung fairly sharply in the, in the New Jersey Devils column on this night to be able to walk in and have your backup goaltender steal you a game at a time like this is the kind of stuff that keeps you in the playoff hunt which I do believe the Winnipeg Jets believe they remain in. Uh, that's my take right out of the gates. Time to get the main man, my main man's uh, take on this here. Time to bring Kenny in, who's been sitting down watching the game live. Here comes Kenny. Great to see you. Uh, I wanted to uh, start with something quickly here. T. Will makes a comment. He's talking about our long-form show we had earlier on today with Sean McKenna. You have not seen that. I know we've been telling people you should, you should be checking out our long-form show. This one to you especially is absolutely phenomenal. Great stuff. Go check that out. T. Will busted my balls here. Ready? Great interview with Shelby this afternoon, but he was wearing a suit. Kenny was wearing a suit. 
to show up in a t-shirt and ball cap and gets in a little class, but getting called out for the lack of class. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this is a guy right here who rarely gets out of the suit. But a few times I don't wear one. This is another one of those cases, Ken, where I think you submarine me. You snowball me. You came oh, that yeah. Suddenly you're wearing a suit and I thought, okay, well, screw that. I don't think I'll change it. And then all of a sudden Shelby's wearing a suit and I look like, uh, as the legal curve boys put it, uh, you hate it when your uh, teenage son crashes your very important Zoom interview, uh, which I think T will. I don't think this is an original thought. I think you're just ripping off the IC boys. So come on, buddy. Come up with your own burdens for once here. But if you haven't checked that th- out that show, please go check it out. We are damn proud of that show. Sheldon Kennedy was phenomenal. Go check that out. Uh, but to the task at hand here, Ken, let's get at it. What did you see in a very interesting 2-1 victory by the Jets? over the New Jersey Devils. Well, first and foremost, uh, we don't have the snow machine, but we have two Zambonis flowing here. So apparently, uh, you know, technical difficulties in audio sessions uh, right back uh, in our wheelhouse, definitely on brand for us. (laughs) Uh, In terms of the game, uh, it was interesting, right? I mean, the Jets had a very good good start to the contest uh, and then a very poor second period. I felt like they spent the majority of the time in their own end. Uh, They barely generated any scoring chances whatsoever on Nico Dawes. And then, classic, Kyle Connor steals the puck, gets in, absolutely deeks the socks off the netminder. The deke was so impressive, the referee who was standing right beside the net didn't realize that it was in the net. So, um... Much better third period for the Winnipeg Jets. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I would say, too, that that's the thing. Sign of a good team is finding a way to win when you don't have your best. But also being able to turn around a game where it doesn't look like not only do you not have your best, but that you're kind of chasing the game in so many areas. Um, and in terms, too, sorry, I, I want to mention something about Sheldon. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible uh, to speak with him. Uh, thanks for the folks that are sending positive reinforcement, but uh, we don't ask for much, folks. But if you saw it or if you think you know someone who might want to hear it, please share it. I mean, this is one thing that we're incredibly proud of the interview, but Sheldon Kennedy is saving lives daily, uh, and we want to try to get his message spread as best that we can. So anything that you guys can do um, is really great. And you know, Sheldon's reached out to both of us about how much he enjoyed uh, doing the doing the show, and he was just absolutely phenomenal in it. So uh, we'll get back to the game in a second. But Sean, if you go to the buffet just shortly here, I think the Zamboni should be done by the time that you're done at the buffet. Well, first off, uh, folks, I know that you were letting me know earlier on that you couldn't hear me. I've turned my mic up, so if that helps, give me a heads up. If that works, uh, let me know right away. I'd like to see it. Um, Ken, I think you're entirely right about the third period, and that is what I take away uh, if I'm a Jets fan or if I'm a Jets player or a Jets coach that I think I'm most impressed about over the last two games, right? Because the last game they played, it was a toss-up against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I talked about it. Pierre-Luc Dubois shows up at the right time of that game, draws a penalty, ends up scoring the goal that puts them ahead. I do believe even without the luck of uh, of uh, uh, Sergeyev blowing a tire and Kyle Connor getting that breakaway, that the Jets were going to win that game just because of what I'd seen from them over the course of that third period. They came out in that game and they were the better team over the course of the third period. Now, the Jets were not the best team in the first period here tonight, but they came out with the tie. The Jets were clearly the second best team on the ice in the second period, but they came out with the lead. But I do think that they were the best team on the ice in the third period. And to your point about good teams winning games, I think that, listen, we've asked the Jets this this year because it's been the reverse. The Jets have kind of been that team this season more often than not that have found ways to lose games that they possibly could have won. It's been the reverse and it's not necessarily what we've expected from a group that at least the core of this team at this stage is a veteran core and it's the kind of core that you're expecting to be able to pull out, you know, pull you know, their socks up in moments like this. That's what we saw here tonight. You take a look at that New Jersey Devils team. I believe they're the youngest team in the NHL. 
Uh, and tonight, as as the, they, they looked like they had legs, they looked like they were keen. Uh, I think you're pretty happy if you're a De- Devils fan that you get to watch that brand of hockey for the next little while. If you're Lindy Ruff, I think you appreciate the game that your team came up with tonight. But this, to me, is a veteran win for the Winnipeg Jets. Again, in just the moments, I mean, Brandon Dillon activating and jumping up ice, the way that he did for that first goal is a veteran move. Mark Shifley having the calm poise and waiting, outweighting the defender to go down and then making the pass. Like, what? Go back and rewatch that play. Mark Shifley makes a pass that is about two inches from the glove of the sprawled out defender. And the only reason that defender isn't waiting to, to, to stick his glove out is because Mark Shifley's faked them into, into a pass more towards the net, you know, and then makes the defender who's not looking think that Brennan Dillon's stick is a little further behind him. So that that is just like, this is the one thing that I say time and time again about Mark Shifley. People can make all the comments that they want about his defense and then they're right to make those comments. But Mark Shifley is a guy who can create stuff offensively that very few people can create. That is one of the reasons you win the game tonight. And then I talked about Pierre Dubois showing up at the right time last game. Well, he does it again tonight with that heavy, heavy check that may just have been a slash uh, that the refs missed, that turned over the puck, that sends Kyle Connor the other way. But th- this is something else I wanted to get into when it comes to the veteran leadership of the team. And I hope everybody saw this, because I think you probably would. The last three games or so that we saw the Winnipeg Jets play, there were a lot of penalties, and a lot of those penalties, I would say, were of the light variety. Both games, I, I believe, had uh, you know, one was Josh Morrissey going around the net and having a stick you know, tapped on him, and he took about three steps and then fell. The same thing happened in the last game. Uh, those were light calls, right? But the Winnipeg Jets, knowing that the refs, this is like a good veteran ball player understanding an umpire and his strike, strike zone. zone. Yeah, exactly. The, the Jets went out in those last couple of games, understood how the refs were calling the game, and I think kind of did a good job drawing penalties, better than the opposition. And I think that we saw in a number of cases the Jets ended up, it was the, a key to their success was success on special teams. You don't have special teams if you don't draw the penalties. The Jets knew how to do that in the last couple of games. What did we see tonight? The refs did not want to call anything. In fact, Ken, I don't know if you noticed it, but at one point in the game, the ref threw up his hand to call a penalty and then took it back down. That was how badly they did not want to call penalties in this game. The Jets understood that and played really heavy. They were whacking with stick. They were they were really leaning on players. They were grabbing. I mean, there was that one play um, uh, where Hughes goes in and absolutely gets bugged on what was looking like it was going to be a breakaway and is left alone. What I liked about how the Jets handled that is they didn't shy away after those points. They looked at the rest and said, this is how you're going to call the game? Then this is how we're going to play the game? To me, once again, that is veteran savvy by the Winnipeg Jets and one of the big reasons they won this game other than their own. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Del- DeMello, I thought it was an obvious tripping play on uh, ja- or obvious, on uh, yeah. Hughes for sure. There was a second guy who was actually involved in the hook, it felt like. Uh, but then at the other end... It- it's another penalty shot, is it not? I know they called hooking, but did you did you not think Ty like, Ehlers was in front of Ty Smith? Was it not clear cut enough for, for it to for, be a, uh, on, uh, on Ehlers? Uh, Which one are we talking? Are you no, talking the breakaway, the, the breakaway, oh. and Ty Smith got hooked. He got a cooking penalty. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I understand it wasn't a breakaway from the center line, but he's in all alone, hooking the hands. I don't know. I mean, I don't care if it's a penalty shot or not. I just it seemed like the standard was kind of there was a variation on the standard, and I don't just mean for the Jets. Pierre Luc Dubois, like Paul Stastny, got the wood chopper out in the far corner in the defensive zone. Uh, it was a strange uh, game for the men in stripes for sure. Well, but it was a game in some ways that understood exactly how they were calling the game and they exploited it right. Like the, the, that's the perfect sure. situation. There is is the Jets get their game winning goal on a on a play that no doubt would have been called a penalty in the last couple of games the way that the refs were calling get the games during the homestand in Winnipeg. So they get the game winner off of that and they stop maybe the game tire by Quinn Hughes 
by the same token, he's heading in on a breakaway. He gets tripped down. Fans lose their mind, rightfully so. But the Winnipeg Jets understood. You know, it was almost to the point, Ken, that the penalty that Dylan DeMello did take uh, on the three-on-one where the puck got behind him. Yeah. The guy, I thought that he was almost surprised that he got called with what was clearly a penalty and, and a proper penalty to take in that situation. If you can stop a three-on-one, it's worth it. They didn't score. But I, I honestly do think that the Jets w- were thinking that was an iffy call the way the game was being called. But again, I'm not going to take it away from the Jets. I'm giving it to the Jets. They entirely understood the mindset of the officials tonight, exploited it the way that a veteran team should good on them for doing so yeah I, I actually think sean that Demello was surprised the puck jumped over his stick i don't think he was surprised the penalty was called i think that's one of those where you're pissed off at yourself that it got by you in the first place and you're mm-hmm. kind of looking over your shoulder like that i mean uh, i think that was at least that was how it, i felt in the building but you're right i mean when the, you go long swaths without any calls you're kind of wondering you're su- surprised when anything gets called uh, but anyways, I mean, sorry, I also too, I mean, I know you talked about Comrie, but uh, man, just an exceptional performance. I mean, I think I thought the Jets had a really good start in the first four, five, six shifts, uh, got a lot to the net. But then, man, the Devils kind of got things going. And man, Jack Hughes was just fabulous in this game. Uh, yes, we're brought. Uh, I mean, this is a team that's going to be fun in a couple of years. I mean, they're fun now. They're fun now. But I, I think that, you know, in a year or two, they're going to be competing. Um and they're like they're fun to watch. They're just a couple pieces away. I mean, David Severson's doing a nice job on the back end. Uh, this team is just fun. And Jack Hughes, man, oh man, uh, just exceptional game today. But the Jets did a nice job of sort of stabilizing. But if Eric Comrie's not sharp, this game is out of reach before the third period arrives. So to me, I, I thought Comrie was exceptional. Um, I think he's had a great year, as you mentioned. Uh, one thing I will say, I mean, in terms of over the course of the year. I agree with you, like 95%, Sean. I think there were the two games against Vancouver. There was at least, I think there was one kind of iffy goal in each of those Vancouver games uh, that ended up being extra time losses, I think. But you're right. I mean, let's look at the numbers. I mean, small sample size, yes. This was only his 10th start of the season and 11th appearance. Eric Comrie has not given up more than three goals in a game this year. Yes, some of that has to do with the team in front of him and how they've played. But that also means that the goalie has been sharp. And there have been some of the games where his team in front of him has not been sharp and he was still at three or fewer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the sample size is small. But Eric Comrie, you know, every night that he plays, he's getting another notch in the belt towards showing that he deserves to be a full-time NHL backup. And to me, that means you can give him more 20 or more starts. I'm not here to say this is a job-sharing situation. I know I think Jeff Johnson is is mostly joking when he says goalie controversy with the question mark. But Eric Comrie is a guy that you can play 20 to 25 games, I think, at this league. That is what he is showing. Uh, And yes, we know the Jets' cap structure means they need to have a goalie at basically around the league minimum. So that's fine. Eric Comrie is happy to pay for the league minimum salary. He's happy to be... And again, he went out of his way when asked today a question about your mentality between starts went out of his way to praise the guy who's playing in front of him not saying you know what i'd love to play more but he said when you play behind a guy who's one of the best in the world at his position and a vesna trophy winner you know what your situation is would eric Crombie love to play 35 or 40 games if he could of course he would he prepares as though he can do so but he knows his situation is more in the 15 to 18 start range this year if he gets that many. Uh, and he's comfortable with it. He's not complacent with it, but he's comfortable with it because of the rocky road that he took. And again, Comrie going out of his way to talk about Travis Zajac, Jack Hughes, the players and the goalie, uh, the, the goalie coach from the Devils who he felt really helped him. Um, I love the move playing Comrie tonight. Uh, Sean, you and I talked about this. I wrote about it in my column after the Lightning game. I wondered if this was... And I did, yes, I couched it. But I wondered if this was a game where you could get Hellebuck the extra day and you could give Comrie the start and then you go Hellebuck in the back end of the back-to-back against the New York Islanders who had a great outing tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. I love the call and not just because it worked out. I like the call beforehand. Eric, I know some folks are saying play Comrie tomorrow. No, Hellebuck will play tomorrow. And then Hellebuck will probably also play on Sunday. 
that's the way it goes. But Comrie is showing you don't have to wait five or six games. You don't have to wait to a back-to-back. You can play him when you feel like Hellebuck might be a little fatigued. And yes, Connor Hellebuck said all the right things this week, but the facts remain he had five consecutive goals that he allowed four or more. And again, some of that had to do with the way the team played in front of him, but he looked like he was getting fatigued, much like when the Jets threw Comrie in against the St. Louis Blues. It was time to play Eric Comrie. Eric Comrie knew a week ago, so the Jets already had this planned out and mapped out. Uh, and Comrie delivered. That That's the big thing. Comrie delivered, and that's that's what you have to see. Well, I'll say this. We've talked about Dave Lowry and uh, how he's tried to create a, a scenario within the Jets dressing room where you feel like if you're right. earning ice and earning you know opportunity, that you get that opportunity. That, to me, has not translated uh, to Eric Comrie. And I think that th- this is something, I mean, I'm just going on the record with I've been beating the drum on this for a long time but in a season where the Jets needed sparks a guy who's clearly given them a spark over and over and over again hasn't had enough opportunity to light that fire and Ken we've talked about this uh coming into this game the Jets needed to have like a 720 winning percentage in order to make the playoffs down the stretch here they basically need to win three out of every four games that they play uh there's only two t- or sorry three teams in the league now after florida won a couple games now jumped up there there's only three teams in the league florida carolina and colorado who have uh above a 720 winning percentage the, the likes of which the jets need to do but you know what player has a 750 winning percentage eric Comrie. eric Comrie has taken uh t- taken uh 7.5 out of a possible 10 wins for this team and that is exactly now am i saying that you turn in you switch things i don't think there's a goaltenders controversy i don't think there should be a goaltenders controversy but i do think there were numerous times that connor hellebuck had poor outings that you could have gone with eric carmery the next game to try and create a little bit of you know maybe a fire under connor hellebuck and that is one thing that i do think can that actually under Paul Maurice's tenure for a long time uh, and now under Dave Lowry's. I don't understand why they haven't explored that. Like the birth, the genesis of Connor Hellebuck is that the Jets went out and got Steve Mason, Chris Mason. Mason, Steve. Chris Mason, Steve. Chris was the first year. Yeah, went out and got Steve Mason because they didn't think Connor Hellebuck could do it. And what did Connor Hellebuck do? Sorry, I shouldn't say that. but That's too strong. Well, they didn't think, listen, if I'm saying they didn't think he could do it, they didn't think he could be their starting goaltender because they went out to get Steve Mason to be their starting goaltender. That right. was the original plan, right? So they didn't think Connor Hellebuck could do it as their starting goaltender. And what happened? Connor Hellebuck took that, took it into the offseason, chewed it over, came in with something to prove, and proved something. And at times where Lauren Brossois made a push, I always thought that Connor Hellebuck had pushed back. Listen, Connor Hellebuck is a competitor, and if you've got a competitor, you want to give him. It's like the Michael Jordan thing. Michael Jordan used to go out in games and he would make up storylines or slights from people in his head so that he could have this me versus something attitude, right? Well, the, the Connor Hellebuck versus anyone has not existed for a long time. Connor Hellebuck has got the games he's wanted to start basically. Yes, I know if it were up to him, he'd start every single game, but taking 10 games, 12 games, 15 games away from a starting goaltender, in my mind, is not challenging a goaltender with another player. There's opportunity here for for uh, Eric Comrie to push Connor Hellebuck down the stretch, but we haven't seen that. Every single time uh, Eric Comrie has come in and proven something he sat back down on the bench and been told to stay there until he comes back a, a long time later. Definitely not enough time to make Connor Hellebuck feel like his job is in jeopardy. And I don't think his job is in jeopardy. I don't think it should be in jeopardy. But boy, oh boy, if you're going in and playing five games and the guy behind you is playing two and you went one, three, and one, and he went two and oh, I think you're starting to feel a little bit of heat on the back of your neck regardless. And I don't think that would be a bad thing the way we've seen Connor Hellebuck respond. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting theory, Sean, and I don't know where you're coming from. I mean, hey, it happens around the league. 
it's happened to Jordan Bennington this year, right? I mean, look what happened to Bennington, who was the guy who basically turned the season up on a you know apple cart upside down and led the St. Louis Blues to the Stanley Cup. Uh, he's now being pushed by Vili Husso. Oh, I guess those things went on off on their own. Uh, and just Oh, and they're back on. Good stuff, go. good stuff. There you go. Um, no, I mean, I, I know where you're coming from. I mean, and not to take anything away, Eric has to start the games that he started. I mean, would he have played like that against Tampa? Who knows? You, you don't know unless you see it. But uh, I, I think that Eric Carmody deserves incredible credit, A, for staying sharp, staying ready. And the biggest thing, we've talked about this before, almost after every single game, in the past, Eric Comrie got himself so wound up for games that he kind of had happy feet. Uh, it's important that he's been steady and calm. And it's interesting. I asked him after the game today. He had that early one-timer stop off Jesper Brat, And it was on a delayed penalty call. I asked him about the one-timer. The only one-timer he remembered was the one off Pavel Zaka, I think, earlier on in the game. All right, yeah, I mean, the one by Hughes that he didn't get to. Yes, but... He's like, oh, that only came in the third. I'm like, no, no, you had one in the first period. He goes, oh, right. And then I asked him, like, do you know that you're sharp when you can push across and make a save like that? He goes, oh, no, no, I don't think about those process-related things. Uh, I just, you know, doing my own thing. Like, probably the best investment Eric Comrie has made outside of his investment in himself and his own work ethic is hiring a sports psychologist this offseason. He talked at length about it, and he's having an incredible year when it comes to the between-the-ears portion, which is so important when you're talking about what he's going through. So uh, I, I, I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, we know that in our town, in Manitoba, the backup quarterback and the backup goalie are often the most popular guys in town. You don't see them as often. And some people say you that means you don't see the warts. But in this case, Eric Conry has done an exceptional job of staying ready. He's done an excellent job of delivering when called upon. It's another classic scenario where the backup goalie is a popular guy because of all the things that he do. His teammates love him, and they love to see him succeed. I mean, that that's the story. I mean, when you have a guy who's kind of been pegged almost as a you know 4A goalie, you know, too good for the American League, but not good enough to be in the NHL. He's now proving his doubters wrong by delivering on the scenario where he's given the opportunity. So I think I've given him all the credit in the world for what he's been able to do. And the best thing about Eric Comrie, that he's not he's not happy just doing a nice job. He's going to push for more. And I, I brought up Jordan Bennington because I remember talking with Eric Comrie a couple of years ago He's inspired by Jordan Bennington. He played against him, and he outplayed him at the American League level. So when a guy you outplay at whatever level suddenly wins the Stanley Cup and is a big part of it, it gives guys like Eric Comrie hope that there's an opportunity for them to play more and to play better and to continue to build. And he's done just an exceptional job on that front. And I agree with you. I think he deserves more opportunity. But... I also think it's important, too, to remember what Connor Hellebuck... I, the, the raw numbers, save percentage, and goals against average are not there. Goals saved above expected, and some of the underlying numbers suggest Connor Hellebuck is still having a, a very solid year on a lot of fronts. So I think it's important to remember that Connor Hellebuck has been the backbone and foundation of this thing for a very long time. Have his last five starts been great? Absolutely not. But after a break, I would be willing to run him a little bit more and see how things go. I mean, if he coughs up a furball against the New York Islanders, would you consider Comrie on Sunday? Sure. That's a team in your division that you have to, you know, respect and try to win that game. But I, I, I don't, I don't turn. If you're Dave Lowry, you don't turn your back on Connor Hellebuck over a short stretch in the season. In my personal opinion, I just, I, I don't think it can. I don't think it can be viewed, sorry, it can be viewed like that. I don't think it should be viewed like that. Like, I, I don't like this idea of a goaltender feeling like, you know, they've been slighted when they've been pulled. The idea that this is Connor Hellebuck's crease, and if you take it away from him for any reason, that that there's some kind of slight involved with this. Or, like, this is the NHL. You're, prov you're paid 
to get results. And as a coach, that's what you're searching for is results. And if you think that you can get results from your backup goaltender, that should be your consideration. You should be making that call without hurting feelings or feeling like that you're going to lose the room in that situation. Um, again, I, th I think Connor Hellebuck's a big boy. I think he'd handle it just fine. Uh, in fact, I think it would, it would have the potential to bring out the best in his game. Uh, one last time I'll say it. Um, Eric Carmery has deserved everything that he has got so far this season and more. This team is in the fight, you know, a ways out, but in the fight because of his performance as a backup goaltender. I mean, if you'd got a 50-50 performance from him, they'd be 12 to 13 points out of the playoffs right now, and none of this could be a So uh, good on him for doing what he's done. For Let's sure. Uh, Brendan Dillon's game tonight. Wow. Uh, I, I, I can't remember. I think, I, I can't say it specifically, but he had one other goal this year. When he had that goal, Ken, um, I, I remember that game as him absolutely going off. And you saw him tonight trying to affect the game in every single way. He was hitting heavy. I know he took some penalties, but he was going out of his way to kind of terrorize the Devils forwards, which were, you know, getting a little bit loose. And I think when you've got the speed that those Devils forwards have, you have a little less fear about getting hit because you're so quick. But Brendan Dillon was catching those guys and making them think twice about the situation. Um, what do you see from him? Awesome. Um, I'm not going to pull a Sean Reynolds and say I'm responsible for the Brendan Dillon bump, but uh, I did have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Brendan Dillon this morning that I I quite enjoyed and. Uh, I, I I did not I, I had this shirt on uh, but I did not have the wake up shirt. Uh, just had a great chat with him that I'm going to be writing about him in the coming days here on Sportsnet.ca. Uh, you know, we talked about his ability as a human being, and uh, I thought that today was. I mean, again, I think he's had a steady and solid season for the Winnipeg Jets, but I think today was one of his best games of the year, and not because he scored a goal, uh, but because of the way that he played with that physical nature, but because of the way he moved his. He moved his feet, and for a big, strong, physical guy to be able to move the puck the way that Brendan Dillon did in this game tonight and to impose himself physically against a small, fast team, that was an essential quality in this game. He smoked Thomas Tatar behind the net, and I thought it really kind of shifted some of the momentum in the game. Uh, I thought he was excellent in the game. He joined the rush, and as you mentioned, I mean, this is like top one, you know, top one percentile of the NHL that makes that pass that Mark Shifley makes at the perfect time. Great job by Blake Wheeler to spring the Shifley on the rush for the two-on-one, but his ability to wait till the precise second that he had to do so in order to get the puck over before the defenseman could touch it, it was absolutely phenomenal. And that's major league finish by Brendan Dillon. He, he basically tried to shoot the puck through the net on that situation. Uh, I thought he was exceptional. Uh, I thought he, you know, I think we, you know, we talked about Neil Pionk a lot. It has not been a, you know, it has not been a dominant Neil Pionk season. I thought that pairing was great in the game today. Uh, I thought that again, I mean, you've touched on it a ton and so have I. Josh Morrissey's edge work uh, at the blue line again, just absolutely awesome in the oh. game. But I thought Brendan Dillon was, I thought it was one of his best games as a Jet. I would have had him as one of the stars again as well. And I thought he was absolutely critical and essential for the Jets winning this game because of his ability to kind of impose his will in a game. Um, one, you touched on uh, Josh Morrissey there. It, it, you, you had nailed this earlier in the season. Uh, and when you came out and you asked him about the season, the bounce back season he had, we all know what he went through last year. Uh, but it's, 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 it's one of these situations where it's like you can't talk about it every night in the show uh, because the consistent factor is that Josh Morrissey is on top of his game at all times and is phenomenal. So, I mean, the, it's, it's sometimes you need a little bit of variation. You need this guy to pop up and do something. You need this guy to pop up and do something. Dominic Toninato has got to come up and get a goal. And Jensen Harkins has to do something out there. And then you get, give you a reason to talk about those things in the game. But like the fact of the matter with Josh Morrissey is we need to talk about him every single night because he is just absolutely 
phenomenal. His vision of the puck, I can't tell you how many times, how many plays he breaks up that, that don't look like anything. But when teams cycle the puck, he's really good at seeing a guy heading up the boards and anticipating that cycle back down the boards and, and, and gets to that spot, vacates the net at the right time. He's not derelict to duty in front of the net, gets to those boards, turns over the puck, and all of a sudden, all the Devils players who are trying to set up and dig in you know, on a cycle are caught in the wrong spot and the puck's going the other way. He is so good at that. His vision is phenomenal. His body positioning when he's playing against players and taking the puck off them is phenomenal. He's one of the guys that I thought tonight really understood the way that the refs were calling the game and played it absolutely perfectly. Got you know, doled out a little bit more punishment than he typically does, knowing he could get away with it. Uh, if we're going to talk about him, we're going to talk about him every single night. Go on. Sorry, just with Brandon Dillon, a lot of folks in the chat are asking, and what we should also always remember around trade deadline, and we'll dig into this a little bit more when, when we get finished here, but Brendan Dillon is being asked about, and the reason why he's in rumors is because every, most NHL teams want a guy like Brendan Dillon who's been in playoff games and plays a playoff style. That doesn't mean the Jets are going to move him, and it doesn't mean the Jets are considering moving him. Just because you take calls on someone and people are interested in a player doesn't mean that player is moving. And we've talked about this a lot the last few shows specifically. Brennan Dillon makes the Jets tougher to play against. And for a team like the Jets that is trying to be tougher to play against, moving the player on the back end who is the toughest to play against doesn't add up for me. Even though he's easier to move because of his contract situation and he's valued by teams because they know he's been to the Stanley Cup Final, played on good teams in San Jose, going to the Stanley Cup Final in 2016, and played with Washington. That doesn't mean the Jets are going to move him. I don't see Brendan Dillon being on the move. I would say he would be the least likely of the guys that are under consideration to be moved, and Josh Morrissey is not under consideration to be moved. Sorry well, to interrupt. So th that's an interesting conversation to have. Let's have it right now because I had uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Butter, who you've seen in the chat before, uh, was talking with me. And I, I am a believer that the Jets need to create some space on their blue line for the young talent that they have coming up. Uh, and I am thinking more and more uh, butter has been the first person that I saw as wholeheartedly on this train as anyone. He's a big believer that Dylan Sandberg should be playing uh, in the league. And, and the one thing that I think about that, cause I know most people, Billy Hanla comes to mind first. I understand why a guy like Logan Stanley is getting minutes before Billy Hanla does, because I think, you know, what you were talking about with the smaller puck movers, when you've got Pionk, and Morrissey, uh, Vili Hainala is along the lines of those players. And I don't think the Jets want to get too small on the back end. That's three fairly small players that you have on the back end if you have them in the lineup. But uh, you can move Dylan Sandberg into the lineup for a player like Logan Stanley. And I don't think you miss out on the physical quotient. In fact, I think given a little more time in the league, you would actually increase the physical component. Uh, I've liked the way he's been calm and composed in moving the puck. I'm digressing by the way, because I didn't want to start this talking about Brendan Dillon. I was just, you know, using that as an example, but the idea that the jets are going to need to create some space on the back end is such a tough Pull, I was thinking, Ken, because of exactly what we're talking about. If you move Brendan Dillon, well, you 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 lose everything that Brendan Dillon brings to this team, which is a rarity on this team. Like Brendan Dillon brings something that this team very much needs. So moving him doesn't make a lot of sense. If you move Nate Schmidt, you're moving your your highest scoring defenseman out there. If you move Josh Morrissey, well, to your point, let's stop the conversation right there. You're not moving Josh exactly. Morrissey. Um, if you're moving Dylan Gamello, you're moving a high value guy. And I don't know if you move him, like how much you're really going to be saving. I mean, it, it does make sense to move him out. You know, if you need to find money elsewhere, if you're going to take a run at trying to keep Andrew Kopp around, or even if you let him go, if you try and bring him back, um, you know, maybe that's someplace you can find money and bring in a player at league minimum. Maybe that makes sense. But Tell me if I'm crazy, Ken, but if you take a look at all the guys, and this is hard to do. We've talked about this in the show in the year, in years past. Neil Pionk came to Winnipeg, said he loved Winnipeg, committed to Winnipeg long-term. The Jets don't like to move guys like that. But I don't know that there is a player that if you take a look right now, uh, it's a, if you if you take a look, are you getting kicked out?
Uh, no, it's Mike uh, McIntyre. We're just uh, arranging for the ride oh, home. You, you guys, all. he wants you guys to go for supper at night on the town. Good for you guys. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we're in uh, we're in Newark. We're just trying to get home safely, my man. We're yeah, just trying to make uh, it home safely. Exactly. Um, uh, but if you, I, I think if you take a look at those, the, the the two games that probably you know kind of look the most alike, I think are Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk. So if you're trying not to lose an element that you know you don't want to lose off the team it would seem to me that maybe he's the most likely guy that you would move in a situation like that because if you were trying to take him out and move someone else in Billy Hanela could potentially move into that role but again I go back to the fact that he committed long term to Winnipeg the Jets I can you think of a guy who's committed long term to Winnipeg that they turned around and said thanks for doing that but we're going to send you down the road yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying for sure. Um, it, it's complicated, Sean. There's no doubt about it. And if it were easy, it would already be solved. So um, one thing I would just counter for Butter, uh, I would say quickly that the situation is complicated also, twofold. A, because the year, and again, a lot of people thought that he, Dylan Sandberg could go straight to the NHL when he went back for his third year. A junior season at the University of Minnesota Duluth that was not accurate he would have played the majority of that year with the moose might have got some games um, but th that wasn't it and you don't blame him for it because he was trying to get a three-peat so you know that was a choice he made and it, it was probably a smart choice and the right choice for him uh, my counter to butter is that because if Dylan Sandberg doesn't get hurt on day one of training camp and he doesn't get hurt in January when he's starting to look like he's ready to handle the load then yes he would be ready but to me he's had to make up for lost time six weeks because of the high ankle and then now you know a couple other weeks where he's missed time it's just sort of disrupted his flow do i think the jets need to find room for him whether it's down the stretch or definitely for dylan sandberg's on the jets next season if not sooner but i want to see a jets defense core that includes both brennan dylan and dylan sandberg that's my personal view. Uh, I think that Vili Hanala also, they need to make room for Vili Hanala. Um, if they're not going to move one of the veterans, then you have to consider moving one of the young players for scoring. But uh, I'm quite steadfast in this belief. I think that Vili Hanala has the best chance to become a top-pairing guy. So I definitely don't think Vili Hanala is the answer. And for the folks going wild and saying Vili Hanala should demand to be traded, that that's wake-up material. Billy Hanel, I think, just turned 21 years old. And if you can show me the time that a 21-year-old in the NHL forced his way out of Winnipeg, that will be the first time. I get it. You know, Vander Kane tried to force his way out, eventually got his wish. Jacob Truba, for personal reasons, wanted to be moved. He was moved. Billy Hanel is in no position to be making any kind of demands. This is not the NBA where you dictate where you want to play. Is this an ideal situation for Billy? No. But he needs to keep battling through it. Keep a positive attitude. We've seen all those positive things. When he goes back to the Moose, does a great job. I salute him for that. But for the folks who thinks that he's going to be banging on Kevin Sheveldayoff's door, that's not happening. He's not going to be forcing his way out of town this summer. Um, but anyways, that's beside the point. I want to see Vili Hanela more. And I think there's room for him in this defense core sooner than later. But it would require moving one of those defensemen that we have discussed. And you're right. I mean, when it comes down to guys who've committed, no, the Jets haven't been shipping those guys out of town because we know it's important because it's hard to get guys to commit. And when they do commit, those players want to be rewarded. The Jets want to reward those players for showing their commitment. So that also complicates matters. But... Um, you know, in some ways, uh, the Neil Pionk situation may have cost the Jets at, um, Andrew Kopp, right? So by committing to Neil Pionk, if you sign Neil Pionk to the bridge deal this summer, maybe Andrew Kopp signs a five-year deal. And now again, I'm not saying that would have been optimal for Neil Pionk either, but in terms of where the Jets are and where they want to go, maybe signing Andrew Kopp might have been the move this summer now again i understand 2020 vision and all of those things but um that's also part of the complicated part of the equation uh because at the time we know the jets have more depth on defense so 
the Jets don't have a lot of players like Cop who are excellent uh, on both ends of the ice and can play in all three zones and play even strength and both special teams. Um, but again, the Cop situation will sort itself out before March 21st, but um, it's just interesting to monitor, there's for sure. That's for sure. Um, you brought up March 21st, so let's go to that. But before we do, I just wanted to make this point for Mac Worker, which is what uh, Butter said to me as well. The one I think about uh, the idea of creating an ELP on is they, the right side is where they don't have depth. So moving a player like that on the right side becomes difficult. It's the left side they kind of need to clear the tracks for. I mean, I guess you can always play offside, but you got to say. I like, Hanel, I like Hanel on the right, and I think that, again, is Johnny Kovacevic as solid a player as Dylan DeMello today? No, but a guy at the league minimum versus a guy at $3 million, I don't know how substantial the drop-off is if a guy like Hanela, if that makes room for Hanela on the right side, maybe the net gain on the, or the net loss, I don't see it as a net loss on the right side. But again, now you are also dealing with young players with not as much experience. So there is risk attached. But yeah. that risk attached also means you're going to have to probably replace Andrew Kopp by next season. So you're making the money that you save there would allow you to try to go out and get a middle six forward. Again, can you get one middle six forward that does the three things that Andrew Kopp does playing in those three situations? That's a challenge. But I mean, that's 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 why the Jets have pro scouts that they're going to try to find a player of that nature and magnitude. Um, okay, let's talk trade deadline. Uh, this is a good one by T. Will. Uh, he is wearing a suit, by the way. Yes. <laughs> um, let's. Uh, okay, so let's explore the trade deadline because this is the part about this that I find fascinating. Um, the numbers suggest the Winnipeg Jets aren't making the playoffs. They came into this game with a six point three, six point seven percent chance of making uh, making it into the playoffs. If you wonder why, you take a look. One, hey, it's great. The Jets just won a game, right? They closed the gap on uh, the teams ahead of them. Except they don't, right? Because Minnesota won tonight. Uh, Nashville won tonight. St. Louis won tonight. Uh, so yeah, maybe they've gained some traction on the Dallas Stars, but the Dallas Stars have two games in hand on them. So if the Dallas Stars win tonight, as good a feeling as this is for the Winnipeg Jets to win, they haven't gained any ground. And it was interesting. I was looking at this, the difference between you know where those teams are, about seven or eight points ahead of the Jets. The difference that the Jets need to make that up. The Jets, like I've said, to get around 96 points, which we think is going to be around the floor, needed to go, coming into this game, they needed to go about 18 and 7. Okay, that's a, that's a heady record to have. About 18 and 7 is what they needed to do. That's, again, like I said, it's over 720 winning percentage. The Jets are winning at about a 520 winning percentage right now, so they need to be way better than they've been all year if they're going to make the playoffs. For, to reach that same benchmark, the two teams right above them that they're chasing in the central, occupying the eighth and seventh spots in in, uh, in the, the Western Conference are Dallas and Nashville. They need, and they've got games in hand, keep in mind on the Jets, but they only need to go like 14 and 11 around that, or 14, 11, 14, 12, in order for them to make the puzzle. Basically, they have winning percentages above that. Right now, Nashville is in the 600s, and Dallas is about 580. So both those teams could actually tail off and be worse than they're doing right now, play just above 500 hockey, and, and, and make the playoff. The Jets need to be superb. So those teams can be pedestrian and still make the playoffs. The Jets need to be absolutely superb to get beyond them. So they, it's, it's what we're saying again, the Jets not only need to play superb, but those teams need to tank. Some of those teams need to tank. It's kind of happening with Minnesota. Maybe they're down a little bit here. The Jets do gain points on a team like the uh, the Golden Knights tonight, who, boy, Ken, did you have them as your Stanley Cup pitch this year? I do, yes. Yes, I, I definitely do. They're in do. the world of hurt right now. If the J hey, if the Oilers win their game in hand, now they jump up into that third spot. So that's interesting. The, the well, one thing that we do Sorry, and how about the one thing that we do have to say out of this is even if the, the if Dallas falters um, and or uh, a team like Minnesota or a team like Nashville, they still need a number of teams in the Pacific to falter as well. So having a loss tonight from uh, the Golden Knights against the Lowly Buffalo Sabres is a good one for or it's a, it, at least that is some ground that they made up. To make. 
What did you have to say? Well, uh, just Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck uh, delivering in the game against Vegas. I mean, that that in Jack Eichel's return. I mean, that's yeah. interesting that's for sick. sure. But I, I think that Vegas will get it sorted out. But again, Vegas, I mean, we're talking about goaltending. I mean, it's Lauren Brassois' net. I mean, Robin Leonard went back home to have some, you know, further medical work looked at. So... Uh, and again, th this is a reminder for all of the conspiracy theorists saying, oh, well, the Golden Knights are just sitting out Mark Stone so we can be ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Vegas Golden Knights need Mark Stone. They're not sitting him out for some vacation. I mean, yeah. let's go. Yeah, exactly. That's a wake up right there. That's uh, a wake if, up, if, yes. If they're, if they're sitting Mark Stone as they they're are not. thinking out of the playoffs right now, Boy, oh boy, what a ridiculous move that would be. No, no, I, it's a ridiculous move saying that's what they're doing because know, they need to I get know. into the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. That's a wake-up. That deserves. I don't know why you... Speaking of one yet. last, last wake-up. There we go. One last wake-up. What is the ref doing on that Kyle Connor goal? Wake up! You're standing right beside him when the puck is in the net. Yeah. Come on! Were you yelling at him to wake up in real time? Because that would have been beautiful. If we would have heard that in the back of the broadcast, Dan yelling, wake well, up! De Dennis's booth was right behind me, actually. And I'm looking at Kevin Sawyer. I'm pointing at the net. and They're going to commercial in the building. Like, the ref waves it off. like, And then people are looking. Nico Dawes literally turns around to fish it out of the net. And they haven't put it on the board yet. It was incredible to be in yeah. the building for it. Just come on. Back to what we were talking about because we've got about nine minutes to talk yep. about it. So the Jeff chances of making the playoffs are are they're they're slim. That's how it goes. Yep. The numbers do not stack up in their favor. They're gonna need to be superb. Five games to go before the trade deadline. Uh this is what I find interesting. If you are Kevin Shovel Day off the Jets who have now won two straight games, go on a bit of a run here. Let's say they win four of their next five games where they go three, one and one. Are you first if you're Kevin Trevor Day off, do not sell because this team it has basically put themselves in a position where you 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 have to show faith in them for what they've done over the last five games or seven games. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, Sean, for sure. Um, it depends on the offers, to be frank. Uh, it's very hard. I'm not going to say buy and sell. But it's very hard to sell when you, you know, it, it's they're just in a tough spot. I, the one thing I can remember, I think the one year, I think the Calgary Flames traded Curtis Glencross in a year where they were competing, and they maybe they won a round. They were sellers, but they kind of brought in, you know, a situation. Where, but again, maybe the Jets, you're not going to be buyers and sellers. But if they can bring in players with term that can help them you know, alleviate the potential blow, maybe you can still make that trade. Again, you know how I, where I stand on this. I know Paul Stastny has 17 goals, and I know how valuable Andrew Kopp is to the Winnipeg Jets. Will it be almost impossible for the Jets to not drop off if they move Andrew Kopp? I understand that's the case, but... If you can get a guy like Matthew Joseph, who I mentioned, who rolled through town last week, or someone like maybe like Owen Tippett, I mean, I think they still have to consider that. I wouldn't necessarily trade those guys for only draft picks. I understand the Jets are draft pick deficient in this year. Yes, they have the extra pick from Columbus from the Dubois deal, but I don't. Again, and what what are the what are the picks? I mean, are they two seconds? Do they get a first? Can they get an extra first? I mean. The one thing we know, if David Gustafson can stay healthy, he can help the Winnipeg Jets down the stretch. He's not Andrew Kopp, but he's the kind of guy that does some similar things to Andrew Kopp in terms of his defensive awareness and ability to be a double-digit goal scorer. So if you trade Kopp, like I said, I think they need to bring back somebody that can help them in a middle six position and a draft pick. And then if you're adding Gustafson... I still think the drop-off can be minimized. Can it be, you know, completely taken care of? No. Paul Stastny's playing on the top line right now, or one of the top two lines. So 
Can you replace that? Can, I mean, here's also a guy who plays in the second penalty killing unit, second power play unit, and plays on a, in a top six role. I mean, can the Jets get better if they move Paul Stastny? That's, an, that's a big ask. But I think they still have to... I mean, again, I understand if a team gets into the playoffs, they can get hot. They have. I mean, we've talked about this, Sean. When Nikolai Ehlers is on the quote-unquote third line, the Jets can be dangerous. We know they've used a self-rental before in the 2018 run. But if they're looking long-term and we know their forward prospect pool needs to be bolstered, is there a way for them to not just stand pat and try to improve their team for the long run? I mean, like I said, I don't, I'm not advocating for trading Vili Hainala, nor do I think they should or will do it. But can they package one of their either prospect defensemen or regular defensemen to help minimize the damage of losing Kopp and Stastny for players that have term? If Kevin Sheveldayoff can get that accomplished, I think he is obligated to do so. I understand folks will say you can't sell, but the same folks would say if the Jets don't sell and miss the playoffs by two points, now those same people that said you can't sell are ripping Kevin Sheveldayoff for not selling. So this is a situation where the receipts are required because you can't say don't sell and then say he should have sold. That's uh, that's no good. Y you have to be on one side of the fence. Like I said, are the Jets better with those two guys in the lineup? Yes. Is it still possible the Jets could bring back Paul Stastny next year? Sure. But to me... I think if there are not extensions in place with those players, I think they have to be moved. And that's a tough thing for people to swallow. I understand there'll be some veterans that don't like that one whatsoever. But if the Jets are looking to widen their window of competitiveness and trying to win, I think they have to make that decision. So, I okay, I get where you're coming from, and that's your analysis on that. From what you know of Kevin Dayoff. What now? I I I I know what you're saying, but I I I pose the exact same. I know what you're saying too. Does that mean he's going to do it? And run it through the filter of Kevin Shevel Dayoff. What is your take on it? Do you think that if he sees something out of his team, he feels there's more value in? And and maybe another way to answer this question is it's it's similar to what I had asked you know Blake Wheeler, and he doesn't want to go down that road. But if you are Blake Wheeler, if you're Connor Hellebuck, if you're Mark Shifley. And if you are Kevin Sheveldayoff, are you risking putting those players? Because the future for the, the, those two players is is two years in Winnipeg, guaranteed, right? Yep. So we know that the future. So if the Jets, to your point, if the Jets can make some deals, I think you're, you're, you're very astute in saying that if they can make some deals that could make them better next year, then, okay, maybe those are more digestible for the, the team as a whole. But from what we've seen, and you know the market is going to dictate the prices and everything we're hearing is there's not a lot of buyers, there's a ton of sellers, so it doesn't sound like the return is going to be huge on this market. As of right now, that could all change once things start moving here. But we do have to acknowledge the fact that it's not an easy time of the year to go and make trades for guys who are going to help you in your lineup right now so if the jets are getting picks that's something that is probably not going to help mark shifley and blake wheeler or maybe even connor halibut in their tenure with the winnipeg jets so do you risk alienating those players or upsetting those players if you sell in a year where they feel they don't have a lot of years left with this group and how does kevin shovel react to that what's your take on kevin shovel great i have a great take on that uh Good. at least I, it's my personal take um, there's a short-term pain in that situation, uh, going into the Blair Witch Project situation also <laughs> in, the, uh, in the room here. Sean, the St. Louis Blues, again, we're going back to the St. Louis Blues. Were the St. Louis Blues pissed off when Paul Stastny was traded? Yes, they were. Brendan, Braden Shen lost his mind, basically. How can they do this to us? We're two points out of the playoffs. There was a short-term I wouldn't call it a revolt. There was an expression of anger. But Sean, you know what happened next year? The St. Louis Blues brought in Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Bozak, completely switched their position, and then they won the Stanley Cup. So would Blake Wheeler be pissed off in the short term? Absolutely. Knowing how Blake Wheeler is and sees a finite window, yes, he'd be pissed off. 
but you know what would make Blake Wheeler thrilled? If they brought in players that could help them win the Stanley Cup the year after. And now, is there a guarantee? Of course it's lightning in a bottle for St. Louis. And it's no guarantee it works. But Doug Armstrong made a difficult decision. And the next year he got his name engraved on the Stanley Cup. Right? That's how you have to view it. I mean, Doug Armstrong knew it wouldn't be popular. Do you think he wanted to trade Paul Stasty? Of course he didn't want to. But he was looking out for the long-term future of his franchise. And then he was rewarded for it. There's a lot of guys who sell that don't get rewarded for the job, right? I understand that's also part of it. But to me, you have to always... I mean, it's one of his signature phrases for Kevin Sheveldayoff. You have to have one eye on the present and one eye on the future. And if the future does not include Paul Stastny and Andrew Kopp, those guys have to be moved, right? If the Jets go 5-0, and I mean, and start blowing the doors off teams, well, now you can... Th give it some consideration but given the the stakes and the narrow margin for you know getting the job done i mean even if they go four and one don't you have to consider still i mean again what would it take for the jets to not sell sean in your mind if five, does five wins is that enough if they rattle off seven in a row going into the all-star or into the trade deadline or, or so what I, would it I, be for you i mean i, I mean, i'm just wondering for me you need to sell. I'm with you. The numbers okay. are already there. The Winnipeg Jets, you know, the chances of them. Listen, if you are running a business, you don't. There, there's actually a really good Elon Musk quote about this, about this, how people fall prey to um, wishful thinking, right? This is what we could turn this into. I'm running a business. It could be turned into this. And you start making decisions based on what you wish this could end up being rather than what you know your 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 business acumen is telling you are good decisions to be making down the stretch here if you are a betting man and, and i say this right now like at 6.7 percent, i don't know maybe the jets are up to nine percent tonight i don't know maybe they're only up to seven percent but I mean, I, I, I ask you this in the in the chat room. How many people in the chat room would be comfortable going and laying down a thousand bucks on the Jets to make the playoffs right now? Because if you did and it worked out, you'd make a ton of money. But the chances of that happening are extremely slim. You're probably going to lose a thousand bucks, right? Well, Kevin Cheveldayoff is playing with house money in this situation at this stage. And I know that's the wrong analogy, but he's in a position where if you are doing what's right for this team, you have to look at the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that the chances of the Jets making the playoffs are extremely small. Even if, Ken, they went 5-0 and over the next right. couple of games, because chances are that a team like uh, a, a team like Dallas is going to go um, three and two over that time. Uh, same thing with everyone else. So the Jets will gain four points on those teams, still be like let's say three points back at Dallas, who's going to have two games in hand, right? So if Dallas wins those two games in hand, suddenly they're they're back to being seven points back, even after going five and zero. Oh, the numbers are stacked against them. But I do say this, and I think that even with a 3-1-1 one one record, I think Kevin Cheveldayoff is tempted to leave it alone and give his group uh, a chance to try and work their way out of this mess. And you know what, what makes me think that? If you go back to 2016-2017 and the run the Jets had down the stretch where they didn't make the playoffs, but they, they go out, they get Patrick Lyon in. One of the things they said about Patrick Lyon is down the stretch, we were out of the playoffs, but we played the right way. That was good hockey, good hockey karma. That was the hockey gods smiling down on us. I, I do believe that since they've gone through that, the muscle memory of that would be that the Jets would think of playing this out on the string, playing things the right way. And you know what? We didn't make the playoffs, but... It's going to pay a, pay off for us next season. We're going to build back a winning culture. We're going to have salvaged, in a way, without making the playoffs, a bad year. And we're going to take that and carry it forward with a group that most definitely Kevin Sheveldayoff believes is the group that he thinks can get them over the hump. Hey, we were talking about this before. Would the Jets take a Minnesota Wild-type turn and get rid of their top two players in order to you know change the culture and go in a different direction? Or are they more likely to take a Calgary Flames turn and and lead things out a little bit and try and tweak because they believe in the core. Well, the answer is the Calgary Flames 
uh, model. That's what Kevin Chevel Day off. I tell you right now, Ken, it is not lip He still has a massive, strong belief in this core, in this roster. They're not doing what he's expected them to do this year. That doesn't mean he's ready to give up on them. So I honestly do think, and, and it may be something that burns them down the stretch, but if the Jets go on a little bit of a decent run here, and then they end up missing the playoffs, but they, in these next five games, they go 3-1-1 one, one, or 4-1 or 5-0, oh, I still think the chances of them missing the playoffs are high, but I do think that Kevin Chevaldeoff may just fit on his roster uh, rather than go through the process of going and trying to build towards the future. Because in his mind, the future has to be taken care of in the next couple of years. And let's start getting into the conversation, and and we won't because we got to go here. But I think Kevin Chevaldeoff, with with the blessing of of uh, Mark Chipman behind him to just operate without any worries, allows him to your point to keep one eye on the present and one eye on the future. But when teams don't do well, you'll see, Ken, that GMs take that one eye off the future and start focusing in on the present. Well, if Kevin Chevaldeoff can't get things figured out in the present, maybe he's not around to spend the draft that he would have got by trading staffs in your cop anyway. Maybe he needs to have his own personal future, uh, excuse me, his present uh, top of mind and start making decisions based on this team succeeding. Maybe if they don't make the playoffs, but out of the gate and doing something next year, because if the Jets don't get out of the gates next year and do something, he's probably not going to be around for that final year of Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler's Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, I mean, totally fair, but I mean, th- those are all things that they have to deal with, and when, if the general manager is looking over his shoulder, he makes different decisions, but I mean, that, it's a complicated scenario, but uh, this has been fun. We've got another week and a half to talk about it, and the good folks of Newark would like us to leave. Mike uh, sent me a text. The janitor is barely letting him stay in the building. Okay, you got to um, go. Get on yeah. out of here. Uh, thanks, Ken. Great job. Uh, we're going to uh, thank the chat room for everything they did. Absolutely sizzling me a couple times tonight, too, well. Uh, and the rest of you as usual, but I love it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're right back at it again tomorrow after the Jets uh, play the New York Islanders. Kenny, enjoy your night on the Council. Have a nice present. The rest of you, enjoy your